Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. So glad you're here with us as we dig in more into Isaiah. Um, The feast day for today is the feast of Henry Martin. So we're going to pray the prayer um, dedicated to Henry Martin. The Lord be with you. Also Also with you. O God of the nations, who gave to you your servant, Henry Martin, a longing to share your gospel with all peoples. Inspire the church in our own day with that sad, said desire that we may be eager to commit both life and talents to you who gave them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. 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 We are joined today by the uh, newly announced and uh, like 12 hour old canon for discipleship in the Diocese of Virginia. I believe the first canon for discipleship in that diocese, uh, the Reverend Shanta Bond. Shanta, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Yeah. So Shanta and I have known each other for a bit. She, before she, well, she's in the process of moving to Virginia. Um, She's from up there. We can maybe talk about her background. Um, But I got to know her because she has been a Texan for the last several years. She served a church in Dallas where I know some folks. She was a chaplain um, in my diocese, formerly known as Fort Worth. And she's currently in my current diocese, the Diocese of Texas down in Austin, while she's on her way moving up to, um, is it Richmond? Is that where the diocesan offices are? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the canon to the ordinary you're going to work for, you can tell her um, I say hello, Canon Drew Hazel. She is lovely. We served on the bishop staff together in South Carolina. So I'm excited for, uh, number one, your position, right? I think every diocese should have someone who helps us figure out how to uh, be disciples and uh, live this good news that we proclaim. And um, I've also served in a canon position. So my condolences for uh, your schedule and your free time and uh, all the headaches that that you're about to receive, not to scare you away or anything. Oh, Alan. Um, I was just thinking that prayer though, for Henry, that was so good because it was about discipleship in a lot of ways and preaching the gospel. And that is what you're going to do. So that is so exciting. Um, And we're just thrilled to have you. Um, today we're going to talk about Isaiah 1 through 27 and see what pops up and is exciting for us. So do you have any thoughts that when you think about these, this first couple section of Isaiah that sort of stems up for you, Shanta? Yeah, you know, it's a large, it's a large chunk of Isaiah 1 through 27. And I think as, um, when I first you know, heard about are potentially talking about this. Isaiah 6 is the passage that really resonates with me and it's resonated with me for a really long time. I think growing up, uh, I always loved reading the passages about the calls of the prophet. I found them to be very, um, very inspirational because they always came from a place of what we call imposter syndrome, the idea that I don't deserve this, I can't do this, I'm not this. If we're talking about Moses, if we're talking about Jeremiah, if we're talking about Isaiah, 
<clears throat> they're always um, in this place of, I would say, a posture of humility, a place of really recognizing their own unworthiness, um, and maybe not from a pathological place, but from a deep place of recognizing I'm unworthy, and I really need to be able to call out to God for help. But then also when I was looking at Isaiah 1 through 12, and then 13 through 27, one of the commentaries was breaking up those passages Um and it was interesting because Isaiah 6 talks about Isaiah's personal call to holiness and Isaiah's personal call um, to understanding his own need for God's grace. But then 1 through 12 talks a little bit about uh, the potential for Jerusalem's judgment. And then 13 through 27 talks about potential judgment for the nations. There's a way in which these passages encourage us to look at ourselves first and then to use this pattern for prayer and this pattern of awareness of God's work in our lives that there's what comes from within and the ways in which we call out to God for help. You know, when we receive a new call, when we are called into places where we feel unworthy or maybe unprepared, and then there's a way in which we look at our local environment and the ways in which God is calling us to be present to that local environment and maybe um, be part of a sanctifying process there. And then ultimately the ways in which we pray because we're looking beyond where we are right now and our local environment, and we're looking out into the world. And so there's this personal, there's the local, and then there's the global. And I think when I think about those, that arc of of Isaiah, that arc of those passages, 1 through 27, that's sort of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this encouragement to pray, this encouragement to be able to see the ways in which God is at work in our lives, the ways in which God is calling us to look within first and then look outside in broader ways, maybe concentric circles beyond where we are. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Um, I, we can talk about Isaiah 6. I love it. Um, we can focus in on that for a bit, but it makes me think you know, the last two weeks, uh, Dr. Tony gave us a um, overview of the Hebrew prophets because, you know, now until the end of time, it seems we're going to be in um, the Hebrew prophets. We've done the other parts of the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Last week, you talked about Isaiah specifically. And so this week, like we can dig in and look at like the call of Isaiah, where it started, where it comes from. And I think about what is a prophet? You know, we've talked about that for the past two weeks. Um, I have this Tuesday night book group um, at my church, and um, last week we were, or last night we were talking about the virtue of justice. Um, we're we're reading like great books, great literature, and we're looking at vir Christian virtues in the midst of those. Last night we did something different. We watched a TED talk about uh, restorative justice, but then we reflected on the song um, "Sound of Silence." by Simon and Garfunkel. And in there, it talks about the prophets um, crying out. Uh, I forget the exact lyric, but it's um, on the subway walls and in the tenements. So we had this conversation about who are the prophets today? And you get a lot of people that stand up, a lot of people that, that dress like we dress. And it's like, oh, you know, I feel like a prophet. And like, you know, like maybe not, but maybe. But like, who are the people that are closest to Right. Like you're talking about with Isaiah, with Moses, with all these folks. Right. Like they they were utterly aware of their own brokenness. They were utterly aware of their own reliance on other people, on God. They were utterly aware that um, they weren't the fancy people that had a pulpit. 
right? They weren't in charge of churches. They weren't leading, helping lead dioceses. They were on the ground. They were in the subway and in the tenements, right? And so how can we reframe? And, and maybe through the lens of Isaiah 6, we can answer that question a little more clearly. Who are the prophets today? It's probably the people that we don't care to think about too much because they look different. They sound different. They behave different. Yeah, I really appreciate what you said, too, because I, um, what both of y'all said, I, I feel like sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, where do, where do I see myself in this? You know, like, how can I find my own life and my own calling to God and what God is calling me to do? And I think Isaiah and especially these chapters that we're talking about, like really hone in on, even though this is happening to them, really we can find ourselves in that. Is this not the, what a lot of um, priests use for their ordination vows as well? The scripture that's read there, that calling of Isaiah, right? And so like as Alan was just talking about, you know, the three of us are priests and we got called into this ministry. But what I always try to tell my folks is, and my parishioners, you're all ministers. We're all called into something. We just have to recognize what that is. And like you said, Shanta, if it's, you know, culturally or if it's the world or it's what, where is God calling us to do? And I don't think it's God just calling us to sit in the pews on Sunday morning. I think there is so much more to that. And sometimes I feel like that's what all people think is, well, if I show up on Sunday morning, I'm good, you know, and there's just so much more to God's calling in my opinion. You know, I, I love the fact that you're talking about what is our call. Sometimes lay people, I, I remember I was a lay person working in ministry for a really long time before I was ordained. So I worked as a hospice chaplain. I covered half of Massachusetts for seven years. <laughs> seven years in hospice is a really long time. Yes, God um, bless you. <laughs> and so, and then after that, I worked in a trauma hospital. I was the chaplain for a pediatric trauma hospital for four years and covered the adult trauma hospital and did campus ministry for five years. And so I loved going to the campuses when I was doing it at the same time, because I thought this is like a 24 seven hour party. Yeah, um, right. And so, yeah, it was so exciting. It was sort of a balance. And I just remember thinking um, during that time, how has God called me? I, it was, there was such a long distance, such a long period of time between when I believed that I was called to ordained ministry and when I was actually ordained. Mm -hmm. And, um, that it, it happens for a lot of different reasons. I think it just reminds me that God's call to us and God's call in our lives isn't a straight line. I always call my experience a labyrinth. Um, and I think the other thing is that God prepares us along the way for our call, but we're called in every moment. So it's not just showing up on Sunday. And I don't think, I think that there are a lot of lay people who are really desiring, as I was, to be affirmed for their call to ministry, even if it's not ordained. And um, that's one of the things that I hope we'll be able to talk a little bit more about in Virginia. Um, you know, when people go through an ordination process, it's very often about, um, you know, are you ordained to become a deacon or are you ordained to become a priest? And the reality is that in many ways we're called and we're chosen to be doing what we're doing right now. And how can we as a church affirm people? So of course the ordained people, but also the lay people and what it is they're called to be doing right now. And how can even ordination processes be part of that affirmation so that it's not 
you didn't, you know, you're not a deacon, you're not a priest, you don't get to be this. So just go back to what you were doing. But more so, how can we joyfully encourage people to enter more fully into their lay, um, their lay call? And how can an ordination process or discernment process be part of affirming that and helping people to joyfully return um, and continue in that call, knowing that that's been affirmed by the church and that that's very positive? I love yeah, that. Think, we got to yeah. have that. We got to have more of that in the world. So I'm I so think, excited about that. Yeah. One way the churches has, has the Episcopal church in particular has, has broken down is we see um, the discernment process as an all or nothing proposition, right? Either you're going to come out the other end and you're going to discern something or it's fail, whatever. Right. And um, I can remember back when I was going through discernment, right. If, if the answer would have been, See, here's the thing. We talk about what is the answer, yes or no, rather than, see, I'm so embedded in that. The answer could have been something different, right? What if the answer is not no, but what if the answer is you're going to be a lay preacher or you're going to be a catechist or you're going to be an evangelist? It just so happens mine was to to the priesthood. You know, I think of your canon to the ordinary, Drew Hazel. She's a deacon. She is hundred percent called to be a deacon. Um, she exercises that ministry in a way that not many deacons get to. Um, and so she's kind of stands at a bridge of, she realizes that the discernment's not just to make priests. Yeah. It's to make deacons. It's to make lay leaders. It's to, to, it's all encompassing. And you think about like in the context of Isaiah, right? Like there are priests, there are other rulers back then, and there are some people that are just called to speak the truth and to remind God's people of who God's people are. And it doesn't require ordination. It doesn't require anything fancy. All it requires is being open to God's call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I was just going to say that um, it's such an important distinction. I think in our world now, especially in the United States, we see more of a distinction between the secular and the spiritual in many ways. And sometimes we don't, depending upon where we are in the country. But um, I was thinking about England and we were thinking about the coronation of the king and the ways in which the king is the head of the church. And there was a way in which these kings um, were very often the ones who inspired people to worship in a certain way. They had that sort of power and the prophets facilitated that worship. And then, and there were others who helped facilitate worship specifically within the temple. And then there were others who were really called to call people to repentance and to judgment. And so there were these different roles. And I think that for those of us who are priests, our role functions a little bit differently from the priestly role in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. And I think it's sort of interesting to maybe go back and think a little bit more about who was it who was leading people in worship? Who was it who had more of the influence in people's lives during that time? You know, and I say that partly because when I was a graduate student, when I was in Cambridge, I was at Harvard, and one of the things that we did was an ordination to daily work. And so I was part of a group called InterVarsity, the graduate student group. And we had this particular service at the end of the year, and it was really meant to 
to create a solemn moment for those of us who were graduating from different degree programs and to say, we're now entering into the world of work. And what does that mean for us? How do we solemnify this? And so it wasn't an ordination service uh, per se, but in many ways, it was a way to call us to understand our daily work, whatever that is, as something that is very holy. So going back to Genesis, going back to the creation of the world and understanding that work is holy. We're following a pattern uh, that God created for us and that work and rest and the balance between the two are holy in and of themselves. And how do we understand that as we go out into the world? I just remember how meaningful that was. And I think that there's a way in which Working with people and understanding vocational discernment, whether that is understanding a layperson's role in the church or a layperson's role, that person's call to be a judge, to be a lawyer, to be a physician, to be an engineer, to be a teacher, to be a mother at home taking care of children or father at home taking care of children, whoever that is, whatever that call is and whoever that person is, that that work is holy. And if there's some way that we as a church can also continue to um, affirm that. Yeah. I feel like that could be really powerful. I'm really glad you talked about teachers because that, that was on my mind a little bit. Um, I have a lot of teachers in my parish. And one thing I always try to say to them is you are ministers. God bless you. You are ministers. You are doing the most holy work. But what I love about lay ministry in a lot of ways is, yes, you might be the minister of being a teacher during the day, but then you might get to do something else in God's church for God's people that's completely different than teaching, right? And that also like fills that cup up within you, you know, of loving others and caring for others. And um, I I have a couple of teachers who you know, their volunteer opportunity might be to be the t- be a tutor in our tutoring program, right? But they choose to do something completely different that doesn't have anything to do with children, right? And I just, I, I, I love that thought process of how do we fill this call? And I think Isaiah is also like really human in this. Isaiah is saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I don't feel worthy to this. And don't we all feel that way, right? At some point or another, me? Why are you calling me? I'll never forget when I asked my senior warden this year to be the senior warden. She was like, what? Me? You want me to do this? And she's been amazing, right? Because it's all about fulfilling that call that God is asking of us. And Isaiah just does a beautiful, beautiful job of that. Yeah, it makes me think, you're talking about teachers, you're talking about the call. And I want to ask you, uh, Shanta, at the end of this thought, if I ever find at the end of it. Um, I saw an interview with a high school football coach and right. I don't remember where he was, but in Texas, high school football is religion and um, high school football parents are sometimes crazy. Um, And so this coach was saying, you know, I've got these 55 um, young men, you know, 7% of them will play football in college. 0.7% of them may play football after college, but 100% of them will be adults. And that's what I have to prepare them for. And so that makes me think like your ordination, I was there, Shanta, and the place was packed. Most people were under 18 um, because you were ordained when you were a chaplain at All Saints Episcopal School. And 
you probably saw your role is, yeah, 7% of these people may go on to be leaders in a church. Less than 1% of these people may go on to be ordained, but 100% of them will be grownups. And so how do you as a chaplain help form them as people? And so my question is, how did you see that there in in college ministry and high school chaplain or in school chaplaincy? And then going in, you haven't started your Canifer discipleship work, but but how do you see um, your role in helping um, raise up these voices to be priests or deacons or doctors, teachers, electricians? Yeah, most of the ones at my ordination were maybe under the age of 14, actually, um, because they were middle schoolers. Yeah. That is one of my favorite ages, actually. I love that age. Uh, people have different feelings about it. I feel like they're very sweet and very open, and they're just being shaped in such an incredible way, and they're growing so quickly and changing so quickly, and there's so much challenge associated with that. Um I just remember spending time with them and really being surprised by how much they trusted me. There were a group of girls who would come and try to spend time in the sacristy after chapel, and we would just chat, and they would tell me about what was going on in their lives, or we'd sit around the area near the altar. There were some benches and places to sit, and they would just share about the challenges and the difficult things that were happening, and sometimes there were tears, sometimes there was laughter. They would show up early um, to take a place. And that was so exciting for me. I know that that was not me. I felt like that was the Holy Spirit working through them. Um, And it was so exciting to be able to be a part of this very significant time in their life. So when I was ordained, this is the passage I chose, the Isaiah 6 passage. And I think one of the things that as an adult, I realize those of us who are adults very often get invited to people's ordinations because we know the person. And so We may, those of us who are priests may get invited to many of them, but for the most part, if you're an adult, you're an Episcopalian, you're going to get invited because you knew someone. And for them, this to me, I was praying for them before this and for all the ways in which this could be part of uh, their formation. And I'm never going to see how all of that is fulfilled. But was what was exciting was that they were there. They were excited. The next day, they were excited. It got, it, it was a special moment for them as well. They got to have a party afterwards. Um, it was, it was very exciting to see them also be a part of um, volunteering. There were about there were 50 to 60 of them that volunteered, and that was their best accolading moment ever. And I just think to myself, as a child, if I had had an opportunity like that, <clears throat> how might that have transformed my life? Because I might never get another chance again to see someone be ordained. Um, and it, again, it wasn't about me, but it was about the ways in which the Holy Spirit was present. So the bishops who were there, the ways in which the Holy Spirit is called down um, and called to be present with us during that time, and the ways in which they're experiencing the Holy Spirit as well. And so getting back to that Isaiah passage, when Isaiah says, then I heard, this is in verse He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. And then you've got the rest of the the urging and the issuing um, to to Isaiah. Um, There's a way in which they too are called, I think sometimes we forget that children are people, but they're people who are developing, they're people who are becoming adults, and all of these steps along the way are part of their formation. And I know for me, the people who are involved with my life, 
uh, were so important to me. Those were times in my life when I felt very fragile. You don't have enough life experience to know that things are going to be okay. Whatever's happening to you in the moment is the most awful thing or the most wonderful thing that's ever happened in your life. And so, um, you know, anyway, I, I just sort of think about these experiences and the way God is calling us, not just as adults, but calling children, children in our care, children who we get to invest in um, along the way, young adults, young people. I think in college, with college ministry, so I'll, I'll take a break in a second here, um, but with college ministry, I found that a lot of the students who came into the campus ministry, um, I was a layperson leading an Episcopal campus ministry, those students who came very often were not involved during high school. And mm -hmm. so the last time maybe they were an acolyte or attended church was maybe when they were 12 or 13 or maybe did confirmation and then took a break to develop their college resume. So, mm -hmm. but they came back because this is what was familiar for them. And I thought to myself, as they got really involved and loved reading prayers of the people, loved uh, reading scripture, loved sometimes leading programs as well, that this is part of what is going to form them, hopefully to be really faithful Episcopalians in parishes wherever they go. Whether they're called specifically to ordained ministry or not, this is part of their formation. This is part of forming faithful Episcopalians along the way and faithful Christians in general. Yeah, I can just imagine, I was not at your ordination, obviously, but I can just imagine, I think about like those 14-year-old girls who are out there and see this beautiful woman do, becoming a priest, probably something they may not have ever thought for themselves, you know, beautiful inside and out, filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with all those things. Like that's sometimes what I think about on Sunday mornings, you know, when I'm up there, I'm thinking, hopefully one of the women, young women that are out here or young men, whatever, will feel like that's something I can do too if God calls me to that. Or if they see someone serving in a lay position, you know, and they're like, that's something God I could do, you know, or so giving them that confidence to know that not only is it in the Bible, as it is in Isaiah's calling, right, but it's in our lives and the people that they see around them, you know, that they too have this opportunity to follow God's call, which is such a beautiful thing. So I love that your ordination had lots of 14 year olds. That makes me so happy. That's awesome. Just really awesome. So, yeah, they were so sweet. Um, there were some who read so well. Some of them, you know, one of the great joys in just working with the middle schoolers was that very often there were more people who wanted to volunteer than there were roles. So then we right. have to invent roles like the person who's going to ring the bells during the Eucharist right. and their friend who's there to support them, who's pointing, you know, in the prayer book. Um, it's, it's very exciting. And I think those are the moments to capture. So those moments where children or adults or someone's showing some deep interest in spiritual things to really be awakened to that and to look at that as a moment to invite someone in to a space. And as you mentioned too, very often we see people doing things at church and we don't know if we can be invited into that space. I feel like it's really important to create the space for children to participate in those ways too, because you never know, maybe down the road, they might take a step away from church, but maybe down the road, when they go find a new parish, they'll be able to find the niche that they can fill. You know, there's a space for me here. I know how to do this. And this is how I can participate and get involved and get to know people and feel like I'm part of the community. Um, but also it's about call. 
it was interesting. I had not looked at the day today uh, that it was the feast day of Henry Martin. Um, Henry Martin, the Henry Martin Institute is in India. And one of my uncles was a... Um, uh, was a polyglot, and he used to teach several languages there. And so when I think about that, I think about Henry Martin also being called to a new country, being called to a new place. And there were fewer creature comforts then than there are now when we move to a new place. So what is that like? You know, to move to a new place, never to have seen it before, um, and to just be there and to say, God has called me to be here for this time and place for a special reason. Maybe I don't know why, but I'm going to follow that call. I'm going to listen to that call. I'm going to go where God calls me and just trust that God's going to give me what I need to do what God has called me to do. You uh, And you have done that and are continuing to do that in this new exciting adventure and um, following the words of Isaiah. I think there's something for all of us there that God is calling us. We just have to listen. We have to be faithful. We have to trust. Um, you're not, not going to believe this, but our time is up. You were amazing. Thank you so much. Um, listeners, please remember, as always, that we love you, but most importantly, God does. <laughs>